Today's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. We start out today as we continue on with the theme of maturing in salvation. We are going through First uh, Peter. And today's passage, we start out with finally. And so finally, why finally? What's this connected? Connecting. And Peter talked to certain groups before. If you look at uh, post of what we went over last week, and right before we go over this week's passage, uh, the passage that we're going over this week, Peter talked to certain groups. And he's saying if you're part of a human institution, or if you're a servant, or if you're a wife, if you're a husband, and, he's, and he um, admonishes these groups, he's teaching these groups. And if you're part of a human institution, Peter says, submit to it. And if you're a servant, submit to your master. If you're a wife, submit to your husband. And if you're a husband, honor your wife. And these are really interesting things that would love to get into. But, you know, maybe if we have a long First Peter, you know, sermon series, one day we will. But what's really interesting also is right in the middle of it all, Peter talks about how Christ submitted himself to death when he didn't have to. Christ is the one that submitted himself to us. And because of his wounds, you are healed. And all of this because he submitted himself to us. Now we have an example to follow. Once again, I just want to say these are all, this is just a fascinating, fascinating topic that we won't really go deep into today. Um, we just can't do all of First Peter, but, you know, it's something great to meditate on of what Peter is saying. But he goes, finally, after all this, finally, now everyone. He talked to certain groups before, but now everyone. Finally, everyone, if you get it, let's go. And he says five things. And it's kind of reminiscent of what we talked about last week. The five things that were bad. Malice, deceit hypocrisy, envy, slander. He has to get rid of it. But now he wants us to get it. What do we get? And the first thing he talks about is unity of mind. And these five things, mind you, before we, before we go on, is, aren't just things that we just go, oh, yeah, they're all kind of the same thing. You just read it in um, just one batch. And same as... We didn't do it last week with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, envy and slander. Uh, we're not supposed to go just skim through this either. And so the first thing he talks about is the unity of mind. And the unity of mind is really asking this, are we on the same page? 
you know as we're maturing in salvation as we're growing as a church of christ are we on the same page meaning do we have the common understanding of the truth but mind you that's just the beginning it means more than that in philippians chapter 2 verse 2 paul talks about completing his joy by being of the same mind as well having the same love being in full accord and of one mind so there is this like-mindedness that we are to recognize like-mindedness is not like being a robot it's not it's not like having the exact same thoughts if i go cake not everybody's supposed to think about cake that's not the kind of unity of mind that we're talking about it's actually having the like-mindedness to work toward a common goal of love and to do that you need submission and honoring to have unity of mind you need submission and you need honoring and the only way this is possible is to remember what Peter is saying and Paul says this too right before he talks about you know uh, wives and husbands is to look at Christ's example and to submit to one another in love number two he talks about sympathy you know sympathy here is seeking to know and understand to know and understand you know in the same way the passage before the reason why i mentioned the passage before is if you read the passage before all this stuff starts to come together when he goes finally everyone and husbands were exhorted to live with their wives in this gnosis or this understanding way this sympathy is supposed to be there and if we are to grow and mature as a church you want the next steps you want to stop doing just dribbling exercises you actually want to start playing the game then we must have sympathy we must understand one another we must understand this that when one part of the body suffers the entire body does when one member suffers we all do in the same way um there's uh in i think when my wife had uh her wisdom teeth taken out her her cheeks swelled up like this and it was pretty big and then she had to put ice to get that swelling down and then when my nephew came over and visited my nephew would look at my wife and then she, he would just go, oh, and he would pat his own cheek. And he was sympathizing with my wife, saying, oh, it must hurt. And so he would pat his own cheek. And when she would put the eyes down to say hi, he put the eyes back up on her cheek, saying, keep it up there. You look marvelous. No, I'm not. <laughs> but he was sympathizing with her. And, but that's also what we are called to do. We're called to sympathize with one another, to seek and to know but to understand and how many of us can we say we're working towards at least these first two things but Peter starts off by saying first have this like-mindedness have this one common goal that is set and work toward it submit to one another instead of thinking your way is the best way it's either my way or the highway because I know what's best I have the experience I have the know-how instead of doing this Peter saying submit and as you submit you see now it's moving it's almost as if this is linear in growth 
But we see that we are now to seek to understand, to know, and have sympathy with one another. When one person ayahs here, we're like, oh, it must hurt. And we start sympathizing with one another. Number three is brotherly love. We move on to brotherly love. And brotherly love isn't just some kind of camaraderie. Like, oh, I love playing ball with you. That was cool. But brotherhood and sisterhood comes from being a born-again child of God. Brotherhood, sisterhood, this brotherly love that is mentioned comes from being a born-again child of God. So the answer is yes. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become children of the Father, and we are new siblings. You know, it's in this knowledge that we're supposed to love one another. Would you treat your brother and your sister the same way as you would someone that isn't of your blood? The answer is no. I mean, obviously not. Some people, you know, we have this, um, some, some people are closer than others, I suppose. But there is this deep connection, right? There's this deep connection between siblings because there is this knowledge. We understand. As much as I might be frustrated with my sister or brother, whatever the case is, that my sister's and brother's success is tied to mine. By them succeeding, it makes our family name great. It makes our family lifted up. And so would I treat my sister or brother now that we have this new origin as children of God, how would you treat your sister and brother? You know, this whole idea of how we're supposed to treat each other humanly, respectfully, honoring one another, where does that really come from and how do we do it for real in a sincere, authentic way is to really understand where we're coming from. Where do we come from? We are born again, children of the Father. And you and me, now we are connected. I am your brother and you are my sister and you are my brother. You don't treat your brother and sister certain ways that almost that we see in the world. It's just not right. We see there's something inherently wrong with that when we take advantage of one another, when we're just stepping on one another, when we say things like, well, you know, it's just, it's just the way the world works. I mean, or it's just business or just get over it. It'll be fine. You'll learn the real way. We don't do that with our own siblings. It's because the success of my sister or brother is my success. And so now when we have brotherly love with one another, if we understand the origin, it becomes incredibly different on how I treat you and how you treat me. And he is saying, number one, like-mindedness, this unity of mind, sympathy, and it grows into this brotherly love. And number four is a tender heart. And a tender heart in the Greek is use black black nos. Use black nos. And if you if you remember what my name meant, it's Greek. It's you, right? You 
you means good and gene means genetics like birth so I was just born well but um, you splagnos is you means good and remember this is the tender heart and splagnos is bowels it's like oh you have good bowel movement that's really what it meant and it's translated as tender heart because what the people back in that era believed was that this good bow, this good deep inside understanding is what we are to have. And let's, we're going to keep on exploring that. In Philemon 1.12, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And Paul says, um, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. That heart is splagnos. He's sending his very bowels. That's what it literally means. But it's translated heart. And the reason why is he's saying, my innermost part, I am sending you. And so when we are supposed to have a tender heart, we're supposed to have a tender innermost bowel? What does that really mean? And when we can kind of get a hint with Jesus. Jesus says, when he saw people diseased, he saw people demon-possessed, Mind you, all this stuff was now internal first, right? Being of unity of mind, being sympathetic to one another, having brotherly love because we're born again. But now this tender heart, we're now ex going outside. And when Jesus saw the diseased and the demon-possessed, that very same word is used, that his splagnos was moved. He was deeply moved. His guts were moved. That means when we see someone that is hurting, that is in pain, we are supposed to have a tender heart. And it's not, a tender heart isn't just, oh, that person's poor. Okay, change channel. That's not what it means. What it means is tender heart means my very insides and bowels are moved and they're not just uncomfortable. It hurts. The deepest part of me is like, oh my goodness, this person is suffering. And that's what Peter is talking about when he says we ought to have a tender heart. And so here are these tests that are out there. Not just tests, but he's commanding us. Finally, everyone, meaning everybody in the church, it doesn't matter if you're a wife, if you're a husband, if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're this or that, if you're a leader, not a leader, everyone, you are supposed to have a unity of mind, a sympathy, a brotherly love, and a tender heart. And finally, he goes to his fifth characteristic, which is a humble mind. You know, a humble literally means low or base. You know, we, we see in our church and historically um, in God's people, humble meant like, oh, yeah, that's a positive thing. We should be humble. But it literally means low and base. And so Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, hated this biblical virtue. And he would say that because the Jews would make the word poor synonymous with saint and friend, it's no wonder that they were people born for slavery. And so he really believed that in his book, Beyond Good and Evil, page 106. But in his book, he says that, and you see that this was the Nazis would take and adopt this kind of philosophy, this ideology that... I hate the fact 
that this biblical virtue is being purported by these people. Poor isn't friend. Poor isn't a good thing. No wonder that these people should be born for slavery. And so humble literally meant low or base. So we are to take it as low-mindedness. Mind you, we started with like-mindedness, and we are ending it with low-mindedness. For this too, may I remind you that Christ is the model. He is the one who lowered and humbled himself to the point of dying on the cross for us. Me, need we be reminded again that he is the one that lowered and humbled himself. He is the one that, that was in heaven, was infinite, beyond all of creation. He was the creator. And he would come and humble himself to the point of dying on the cross for us to show us indeed that what he says is true and he has the power to make it true, which was the last shall be first. He showed it to us. And so a lot of people think being humble is about getting rid of your pride. I need to be humble. There's so much pride. Actually, Peter didn't see it that way. Peter didn't really see being humble as getting rid of pride. Peter literally saw, he literally saw with his own eyes, he saw the life. That if you are humble, then you will be mocked. You will be scorned. And you will be shamed. He saw that being humbled put Jesus on that humiliating cross. That's what humility was to Peter. But what's the other way? What's the other Whoa, this is, this is too much. But what's the other way? The other way is to go Nietzsche's route and have a master race. Only... For time and time again, history showing us that that way miserably fails. Jesus' humility bore witness to this new, everlasting, eternal, incredible, stupendous, fantastic life, joy, love, and power. So he is the one that showed us, look, this way of humility is actually one that will bring us the ultimate joy. You know, this power of Christian humility lasted and is still growing after two millennia. It essentially started with 12 people. And now the disciples of Jesus Christ are in the billions. Some estimates have put it to 13 to 13.5 billion Christians throughout history, starting from 12, because of the fruit of Christian humility. Now these are five things that we need to remember as we move on to the main point. The five things Peter is telling his readers are people who are suffering from oppression. And to them he says this, and we need to understand, he says this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. You know, how can you not repay evil for evil? 
You know, let's say someone does have these one of these five things or all these five things. Someone does have malice. Someone has deceit. Someone has hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I don't know. Maybe last week we were listening to these five things. Like, I know someone exactly like that. I know people like that. And Peter is now saying, do not repay evil for evil. He's telling his readers, the people who are suffering from so much oppression, death, not just people having things taken away, but death. He's reminding him of what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is um, this one thing that I learned from my college pastor that I will never forget. And he said, that he, he said it in Korean, and I'm doing my best to translate it well, and do it justice. Uh, but he said, if you're, if you're not persecuted, that means you're not doing something right. If you're not persecuted, you're not doing something right. Because a life devoted to Christ will be persecuted. Christ was persecuted, and a life devoted to Christ will be persecuted. In fact, if you're not persecuted, maybe you don't even have the guts or the honor or the worthiness to be persecuted. You know, when the disciples were persecuted, they came back. When they were flogged at the temple courts, when they walked back, they walked back rejoicing and singing. And like, who does that? Who does that? that that's almost counterintuitive, but we endure persecution as Christians. And this is something that we have to understand. To those that desire to love life in the verses that we read, to those that desire to love life does not mean that you will live a trouble-free life. Following Jesus does not mean you will live a trouble-free life. It doesn't mean that you will never have any financial problems. And if you have financial problems, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's not what this is about. Jesus never said, blessed are the persecuted because you will have a great promotion here in your job on earth. He doesn't say that. Blessed are the persecuted because you're going to get a new car. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the persecuted for their great reward is in heaven. And he's saying the reason we should rejoice and be glad if we're persecuted for righteousness sake is that our reward, our great reward is in heaven. A life devoted to, per, uh, to righteousness will be persecuted. And you might think, wait, why? Does it have to be that way? And John Piper wrote this that I thought was poignant and very um, excuse me, profound. If you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement 
against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. And mind you, some people just get angry. I, I, like I said this on our Ash Wednesday service. I, I don't know why people just get angry. If we as a church decide to do a fast, why, why are you angry? Um, <laughs> but I realized something while studying this. If you pursue self-control, your life actually indicts excess eating. When people just go, you can eat whatever you want, do whatever you want. And when you start exercising self-control, that speaks, that life literally speaks against that. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. And if you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. Because in the end, what is it that you long for is the question. If you long for an earthly reward, what could that possibly amount to? You could put a number on it. It can be calcul calculated. And in verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. And I was wondering, wow. What kind of amazing reward is that? That when we seek righteousness, when we seek to do the will of the Lord, when we seek to hold upright his statutes, when we seek to make the name of Jesus' life great through our lives and our church, isn't it because that we want his eyes upon us? We want his ears open to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I have been reminded by God's grace and kindness because, you know, this is something I'm just very happy to share is that, you know, I'm not all there. I'm not a saint. I struggle too. I struggle a lot. I struggle with why things have to happen a certain way, injustice happening, especially to us. You know, like how, how could this happen to us? How could this happen to me? I, little things that are not right, it really stays with me. And um, God has been humbling me and showing me how good he is. I'll give you one really small example. I, I was just so excited to share it with those people that are around me this week. But the past week when I went to my gym, they took the scale and they moved it. And um, that really upset me. I thought they were so cheap because as you walk out of the gym, you can just, put, you know, plop your feet on the scale, kind of weigh yourself every once in a while, you know, just to see where you are. It's a good kind of, it's a good general measure. And so, but then they moved it all the way behind the trainers. So now in the gym, you have to walk through these trainers who might potentially harass you to get like a session in with them. And then just to weigh yourself. So I was so upset. I said, forget it. I'm not going to weigh myself. 
And I went on Amazon. I said, I'm just going to buy my own scale. And they had these lightning deals. And they had a scale there. So I bought it. And my wife knew as soon as I bought it, I was so excited because I would yell. I was like, yeah. Anyway, but I got this scale. They have these four electrical nodes on it. I stand on it. And it tells me not just your weight, but your BMI, your bone mass, your muscle weight. It tells you your water weight. I don't know how accurate it really is. But I, I guess even if it's in the ballpark, I'm really happy to know. It's like, oh, I'm a little dehydrated today. I knew that. But it's nice to know that this scale knows it too. So I was so excited. And I said, you know, if I had money, I just want to buy all of my friends this amazing scale. Because it connects to your Bluetooth without you actually pairing. Because uh, Anyway, but it connects to your Bluetooth and just sends you all that info. So on my phone, I have all the times I weighed myself, at least two, three times a day. And it shows you all my indexes. And I love it. But... All of this happened because I was really upset about the injustice that this gym did. These cheap guys, right? And it's like, oh, get over it, right? But, you know, this is a small thing. But all these small things seem to be also just indicative of my character and my nature. You know, can I really see God working through every instance? You know, when we lost our building... You know, people will say all these various different things. But I'll tell you, basically, basically it comes down to this, and this is what we must never forget. The reason why we lost it is because we decided to take a stance and say we will not go against. I mean, we will go against what this, this, this denomination is going toward. We believe in biblical inerrancy and biblical infallibility. And this denomination, this presbytery, whatever the larger body is, is not fully supporting that. So we decided to cut ties. That's the basic thing. But for me, it was this is the building that um, I kind of grew up in as a pastor. As a fledgling pastor, I would meet these amazing people who would support me so much the pastors and the elders and one was one is here with us now would just support me and say we are for you here's a scholarship we want you to finish seminary well and I remember I had to go back and forth from Queens and the toll just uh coming to Paramus from Queens uh, would be about 400 to 500 dollars and I just couldn't afford it so I just slept in my office and which was, you can't do that. You know, I can say that now because we don't have the building. But you, you, you can't do that. But when I did that, I would kind of, you know, shyly say, oh, I'm sorry. I kind of just slept. Because I, we needed to go to, like, the early morning prayers. This is, like, 530. Um, and, uh, you know, people would say, oh, you know, just don't tell anybody about it. And, you know, so I'll just sleep on my chair. And then I wake up. It's time for prayer. And that's how I got by. But what I realized is I loved it now looking back, almost to the point where if we have any new pastoral interns or part-time pastors, I would want them to experience the same thing. You know, I'm going to set up a little cot for you right here, and you take a, take a quick nap, and boom, three hours later, we're in morning prayer. But, you know, all joking aside, I had a lot of fond memories there. That was literally my home away from home. And losing it and having to vacate it was very difficult. And it was tough. 
and trying to understand that process it over the past few months because it was sudden process it over the past few months was you know some people say this some people say that some people go it's your fault it's their fault whatever the case is it doesn't matter bottom line is it was lost to me and I saw a lot of injustices and I was upset but here I believe God is showing me all these little things even even with the scale and the question is do you believe that he is leading you into green pastures? Do you believe that he can do something greater than he has done in the past? You know, we can keep on looking at 18 Essex, but if you keep on looking back, then you can't look forward to what God is doing. I honestly believe with all of my heart, the way God has been leading not just my life personally, but seeing the way he is moving in our church and in your personal lives, but in our corporate lives, that we are going to get a better place. I really do believe it. But why? Why does he do it? Why does he let me get a nice new scale? It's $20. It was originally $50, but that's, that's just amazing. I needed to throw that in there. A uh, $20 thing, four electrical nodes, tells me like seven indexes. But anyway, um, why would he do that? And I see that as I do this, it's so that I can be physically healthy. I can be physically healthy. It will help in my physical health. Why would we need a new place of worship so that we can be healthy, so that we can be spiritually healthy? So I do believe God is bringing us to places, that we're, to places where we will be even more and more healthy. And if that's the case, if we really believe that with all of our hearts and we have this faith, then even if we are dealt evil, we can bless. In the end, even if we were to be dealt a horrendous evil, we can bless. First, it's because what Christ did for us. When we cursed him, and we nailed him upon that tree, and we said, we don't care about what you have to offer. In fact, we want you out of our lives. You are intrusive. You are obstructing everything that I'm trying to accomplish. We need you out. When we cursed him, he responded with, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Peter is saying, this is why you were called, to bless and to be blessed. This idea of blessing is about bringing God's kingdom here on earth. We are his ambassadors. You've heard this before. But imagine this. If we always repaid evil for evil, if someone slandered you and you go, they deserve slander too. If someone gave you malice and you go, they deserve malice too, what kind of world would we live in? But it says here, we are blessed to be a blessing, but we could also see it this way. And it's purposefully written that way by Peter. And it's here we could also see that we are to bless so that we can get blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing, but we also bless so that we can get blessed. Blessed to be a blessing means it's not a zero-sum game. We don't repay good for good and evil for evil. God has made it so that we will be increasing in blessings as we mature. 
No matter what happens, whether evil comes our way or good comes our way, the blessing is going to increase as we mature. And that is a statement where we can think about and meditate and go, wow, wow, that is unbelievable. Can I have some proof? Can I have some evidence? When we see Jesus' life, we see that to be so evident and absolutely true. You will be increasingly blessed and you are called to bless others. What we are really doing by doing this is we are bringing down the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Blessed are the persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember that. And he's showing us that no matter what happens, even if evil were to come to us, on the contrary, you were called to bless. This is our path to maturity and salvation. And I believe this is only possible if we truly understand and have faith in what Jesus is doing in our church. He is showing us that what he is doing is for our good. And we can trust in him. No matter how high we can get. No matter what mountaintop we can traverse, journey up, put our CGS flag and it flaps in the wind and boom, we have our logo. Or no matter how low we go, even if we were to go into the bowels, the deepest, most inner parts of hell, that God would be with us. The darkest, the shadow of the valley of death, no matter where we go that God would be with us. Now that is something that we can trust. Now that is something that we can be encouraged by. And so I pray that this would be our prayer as a church. On the contrary, learn to bless. And personally, on the contrary, bless. Let's pray.